thank God for you. Reggie and T, and he, good to see D back on the set again. D has concerns about whether or not his job is going to keep him here. Glory to God, he's going to be here with us, so thank God for that. Welcome back to your place. We're glad to have you all with us this morning. We're starting a new, a new sermon series this morning. And uh, I got some couple of videos I want you to see this morning, so <clears throat> kind of explain our sermon series. So we're starting a sermon series this morning. The title of the series is, is, is Renewed. Renewed, and of course that comes uh, appropriately at the beginning of the year, but it has more to do with that. It's my belief that the way we get better in Christ, the way we grow deeper in Christ, is by trying to figure out how to change some of our habits. Trying to figure out how to change some of the things we do. If we keep on doing what we've been doing, we'll keep on getting what we've been getting. And I think uh, each of us want to be better in Christ. If you want to be better in Christ and you're in the sanctuary, raise your hand. Yeah, well, that's unanimous right there, almost unanimous. Some people are texting right now. But if you, uh, if you in fact, want to go deeper, if you, in fact, want to get better, you're going to have to change some of the things that you have been doing. Yeah, not even listening. And we thank God for the opportunity to share in some messages over the next few weeks that we believe will make us better in Christ. But let's go back to the beginning. Today I want to start with a message that comes from two primary chapters, uh, or two, two primary areas of the Bible. The first is Psalms chapter 51. It's a familiar passage of scripture. A couple of verses in there, two or three, verses 10 through 12. And then our primary lesson is going to come from Luke chapter 19, verses 1, 1 through 10. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. I wonder if there are people out there who are listening to us who've ever really considered how sin affects their lives. And the reason I ask that question is because some people are so cavalier with the concept of sin. It's just... They, they believe it's an eventuality, we have to do it, and so they make it a continuous part of their lives. But I came to tell you this morning that we can have victory over sin. We can have victory over the things that are holding us back and keeping us from being close or closer to the Lord. And I know some of you out there have been struggling for a while in your own personal lives, and you, you continue to ask yourself, what's the difference? What can I do better? How can I get better? How do I get over the hump? How can I stop feeling this way? 
I'm tired of feeling this way every day. I've been like this all of 2020. You blame a whole lot of stuff on 2020 that 2020 wasn't responsible for. Because the truth of the matter is, you felt like that in 2019. You felt like that in 2018. But 2020 got, got, got compared to the worst time ever. Some of you have been having the worst time ever for a decade. The truth of the matter is you just don't know what to do to make life better. And I came to tell you that it's not in the major things that come. You're waiting on a lightning strike. You're waiting on the ground to shake. You're waiting on something major. But how about simply changing the daily routines of life? How you approach the different relationship pieces that you have with the Lord can end up making a huge difference in your life. Maybe if you simply became a better Bible student things might be better. Maybe if you simply became a more sincere prayer, not just praying when stuff happens, not just praying when you hear bad things, not just saying the obligatory before you eat your whopper, not those kinds of prayers, but I mean learning and studying prayer. There was an announcement made earlier um, about us changing some routines on one of the uh, ministries we have here. We've had a prayer ministry for a few years now. And one component of our prayer, and the name of our prayer ministry is Ceaseless. Ceaseless, which the name should speak for itself. We should be continuously in prayer. But we've had a prayer app that we have well over 200 and some odd folk on daily. But, and I want to thank right now publicly the person who's been leading the charge on the prayer app. And she did it because I said when we first started it, that this is going to be your responsibility to make sure we kind of roll with this. And she took it to heart. And that's Theris. So for the last Theris, Theris Johnson. Yeah, let me tell you how dedicated Theris has been. For the last almost 800 days, think about that now, that's over two years. For the last almost 800 days, Theris has been the one to get up in the morning and put a new prayer on the prayer app. Almost 800 days. Now, if that's not that, I'm talking about every single day for over two and a half years, by six o'clock in the morning or so, you got a new prayer that comes out. It says it comes from 45th Street, but I can't tell you right now, Theris is the one who's been making that happen. And so I said to her this year, I want to involve more people in that prayer because more people need to be uh, involved in the medium of prayer. And that's why we started the segment called Let Us Pray. And you too now have the opportunity to submit a prayer. You'll still be submitting it to her, but it'll be helping you. So look at the guidelines for Let Us Pray and each member of the church, each person who's on the app can submit a prayer to her and it will help us to hear different voices because your voice in prayer is important, but in order for us to be blessed by, we got to hear you and you got to be comfortable in prayer. Amen. So let us pray. Make sure you submit it to or follow the guidelines. Now, it can't be two days of prayer and one prayer. Uh, There's some guidelines that go with it, but I believe it's something that you can do. So today I want to start this sermon series talking about how sin affects us and how we get started with removing that sin. And to that end, I got a couple of videos I want to show you. The first is how sin affects us. There's a YouTube video I want to show you. It's a great example. A lot of times it's used just to teach kids 
in uh, Sunday school or sometimes uh, even in Bible study for them, but I believe it's a great object lesson in how sin works. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God placed on him the sin of us all. So that he could justify the sins of the whole world. So it's important that in order for the sin that's in us to be neutralized, we've got to get Christ in us. Christ can neutralize not only sin, watch this, he can neutralize the sin in you. Which he can make the sin in you go away. That's the purpose of him coming. There's a greater purpose for him coming than us just having church worship for us just having worship at home. We do worship him, but it's because of what he's done, because of who he is, because he's our savior. That's why we worship him. And so how do you get the Christ in you? How do you even know you need to have Christ in you? And more importantly, if I've got Christ in me, but I'm still struggling, what's going on? And that brings us to our first passage of scripture, Psalms 51. And the reason I'm going down this road with this sermon is because I believe each of us wants to have a closer walk with him. There's a song that he's saying, just a closer walk with him. We want to be closer to him on a daily basis. And it becomes, it's obvious to me that God wants to do more with you and through you than some of you are allowing him to do. It's coincidental that we're having this at the beginning of the year. This sermon would be appropriate at any time of the year, but it's okay for us to be having it now in, in January. God is interested in moving you from where you are, no matter how old you are, age is not a barrier now, to a deeper level in him. Just because you've reached a certain chronological age doesn't mean you've gotten any deeper in Christ. All right, you may be, you may be a ripe old age and still be a preschooler when it comes to the depth of your faith. And that's because you haven't really switched anything since you first came to know him. You haven't grown in your study. You haven't grown in your prayer life. You haven't grown in your witnessing and your walk. And so you still need some, you still need the opportunity to get closer, closer to him. And I know it can be frightening. It can be scary to you. Nobody wants to readily admit that I'm not as close to the Lord as I want to be. And some of us think, I got time to do that. When we're young, we believe, I've got time to get that together. Right now, I just want to live my life. I came to tell you right now, no man knows the day when it'll be the end of his life. No man knows the day when he'll be held to account for what he's done with the time that God has given you. And so you want to make the best of the time that you do have. And it's my experience that God wants to work for us in a holistic manner, not just our body, he wants that to be right. 
but he also wants our spirits to be healthy as well. And I can look in your eyes and I can see you and I talk to you. And I know some of you have been downcast in your spirit for so long. You have been so dejected. Life seems to be dumping all over you. And I can tell you, you're not alone. There are people in scripture who have been similarly situated and they've given us examples of what we can do in order to get that better. There's a depth to us that we haven't reached yet. There's, a, there's, a, there's another level you can go to and God desires for us to increase in our relationship with it. How do I know? Come here, David. David is a great example. David is a great example of someone who for the life of him seemed to always be getting in trouble. All right? This man who has so much promise also has so many problems. His life was just, if you look at it across the board, his life was a mess. David, the one who was anointed to be the king of Israel, just kept getting into situations. And each one of them required him to get to a deeper level with the Lord. And is watching David and what he's going through. It's identifying the fact that David was called a man after God's own heart that gives us the instruction that we can follow his example in some areas and be better in Jesus Christ. Watch this. After he had gotten into trouble because he stole another man's wife and had that man murdered, after he used the highest office in the land to exert undue influence on a woman, after he did that and got caught a year later, well, got, he got called out about it a year after he did it. He thought he had gotten away scot-free until God's representative came and called him out on it. It was at this point that David, having been convicted in his spirit that he had done something wrong, fell down on his knees in the house of the Lord. And he uttered these words that we find in Psalms 51. He said, Lord, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David realized, even though he had been living for that year, even though he had been going through the motions, his spirit was still messed up. He wasn't close to the Lord like he wanted to do, and the reason was because he knew he had done wrong. How about this? I thought about uh, uh, an example that would explain to you how we get messed up, and it just so happened I got an object lesson at my own house. Um, air conditioning system running, kind of sluggish. Didn't understand what's going on with it, and because of that I got to call in someone who has more information about that system uh, than I do, and that's just about anybody. And so I called an air conditioning repair person in, and I fully expected them to be there for a while, T. I thought they would be there working on it. And the man simply asked me a question, and he said, when was the last time you changed your filter? And uh, the answer probably wasn't appropriate at that time. Now, this is not lately. This is something that happened some years ago. And, it, and I said, well, it's, uh, I've been meaning to get around to that. And so all he did was go and get the filter, and at the time, I, and he said, well, you need to go buy a new one, but I'm just going to blow this one off right now. 
And he did, and lo and behold, all that hard sucking sound that had been coming out of the unit stopped. He also went and blew all the dust off the coils. And then he charged me more money than I thought he should under the circumstances. But hey, you got to pay for what you don't know. He wasn't even there 30 minutes before he got there. He was almost gone, but in his teaching for me, he had cleared up my problem because he knew more than I knew, and I realized that a small problem can create big problems in your life if you don't know what's going on. The truth of the matter is my filter was simply clogged up, and I started thinking about that, and I want to ask you this. How many of your spiritual filters are clogged up? How many of you keep allowing junk to cloud the filter between you and the Lord. He's trying to send you a blessing, just like that air conditioning system was trying to send fresh air into me, just like it was trying to cleanse me like you saw in the video, but it couldn't get through because of the pollutants in my life. Not big, they're small, but those small things build up and they can create big barriers. And David realized that he had a clog between him and the Lord. And so he came to him, Nathan came, and Nathan was the air conditioning repairman for David's life that day. And he said, David, you need to clean off your, your filter. And so David said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Spray off my filter, Lord. Old Testament example of simply getting yourself together. And so a renewed spirit comes from a clean spirit, y'all. At some point, you got to admit that I got some stuff on this filter and it's blocking me from having the best relationship I can with the Lord. David acknowledged that he had some problems. So my question to you simply is this, what's blocking you? And you always think it has to be something major. So, sometimes you just lie. And each one builds up between you and the Lord. Inconsequential stuff. Stuff that doesn't even matter. Let me put it that way. You just don't tell the truth about it. Folk like to call them little white lies. There is no such thing. Every lie is a black one. Yeah, every lie is a choice between telling the truth or not. And we can't get into this theoretical conversation of, are there times when we ought to not tell the truth so it can help somebody? Well, that becomes a personal conversation. But I can tell you this, they all build up. They all have consequences. And maybe it's not telling the truth. Maybe you just aren't the best employee on your job you can be in. You just want to know, why can't I get better on my job? What is it that's stopping me? Well, maybe it's because you sneak in one minute after eight every morning. And you think that they don't ever see you do that. But it gives a great indication of how vigilant you are when it comes to doing your job. I'm here. I made it. Maybe you just don't understand that those little things stack up. They're creating barriers in your filter. There's something within us that pulls us to the truth. The spirit that God put in us from the very beginning is always pulling us to him, and we in our humanity and our flesh pull away. 
The question is, what's going to gain the greatest control? It's like a compass. There's nothing you can do on a compass. If you take it anywhere in the world, the compass needle is going to turn north. That's how it's fixed. It's going to always turn north. You can walk everywhere you want to, but it's always going to point you back in the direction of north. And that's how the spirit is in your life. If you already have the spirit in your life, he is always pointing you toward truth and what's right. The question is, are you listening to him? And let me tell you this, you can't renew your life. You can't get better until you start listening and following the Holy Spirit. David taught us that. David showed us that. And so if you've got a relationship with the Lord, you've got to clean off those filters. You've got to get better. But what if you've never met the Lord before? What if you don't know him? We are in our, in our slackness not telling enough folk about Jesus. We simply don't evangelize enough. But even in those folk who've never formally met the Lord, there's something within them that's got them pulling toward a greater truth. They simply don't always understand what that greater truth is. And that brings us to our next passage, which is Luke chapter 19. Story in there you've probably been hearing all your life. It gives us a greater lesson on renewing our lives and getting better in Jesus. If you know him, you got to ask him to help clean you up and then have the courage to do it. But if you've never met him before, Luke chapter 19 gives us a great, great object, a great lesson in how to get better. Watch this. Chapter 1, I mean, chapter, verse 1 of Luke chapter 19 reads, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Y'all got to know, this, now this hit home for me. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, to fully appreciate this story, to fully appreciate this story, you need to really read the companion case, the companion story that goes with it. This is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 4 that kind of gets us there, really 1 through 10. But it's the last story of chapter 18 that bookends this story. And let me tell you why. Because in the last few verses of chapter 18 in Luke, there's the story there of how Jesus heals a blind man. Those two men, one man blind physically, another man blind spiritually, show us how we have to look at dealing with Jesus if we've never met him before. Let me see if I can get you there real quick. One man, the one in chapter 18, lacks physical sight. The Bible says clearly that Jesus was coming through that way, and it, it, he came through. Both of them were in Jericho. And when the man who was sitting there in the way heard the multitude pass by, he asked somebody, what does it mean? And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And the man started crying out, saying, Jesus, Lord, Jesus, son of David, please save me. Come and heal me. Have mercy on me. 
And the folk there tried to stop him from getting to Jesus. Tried to block him from getting to Jesus. But the more they tried to block him, the more he cried out, saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus went to the man, paraphrasing, and asked him, what do you want me to do? And the man said, give me my sight. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole or has saved thee. Your faith has saved thee. And so here we have one man who's blind sitting on the side of the road. He hears that Jesus is calling. Something in him tells him, I've heard of this Jesus and the work he's been doing. This man can change my life. There's another man on the other side who has physical sight, but he does not have spiritual insight. And he is curious. I told you. It's always pointing north. There's something in us that's always pointing to the truth. We may not always understand what it is, but there's a curiosity within us that has us peeking. And so he runs, and because of his short stature, he needs to get to a vantage point that will allow him to see. Look at the contrast. Look at the contrast here. The blind man lacks physical sight, but he knows his condition and he understands the power that Jesus Christ has. The other person can see physically, but even though he may have heard of Jesus and the commotion, he doesn't have spiritual insight enough to know what's going on. How do I know that? Oh, there's another. One man is abjectly poor because he's blind, and the other one is insanely rich. Money has no connection when it comes to the condition you may be in. You still might not be able to see if you got all the money in the world, not see the things that are important. I love this about both stories. Both of them are blocked by the crowd. Both of them have been blocked. One is physically blocked. Both of them are physically blocked by the crowd. In fact, the crowd actively tries to stop the, black, the blind man from hollering Jesus' name. They try to suppress him. Come on now, you got to know that sometimes your biggest barrier to getting better is the religious folk in your life. Sometimes they give you advice or they try to overshout you or they try to keep you from getting to who you really need. No, 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 you don't need more activity, you need more Jesus. You need to be involved with him. And so sometimes just being involved with the wrong folk who don't know how to help you can stop you from getting what you need. Zacchaeus had been locked down, had been looked down on all his life. Why is it that they put in there, Anthony, that he was short? Why, why is that important? Think about this now. Go back and read scripture. Go back and read all of the situations where Jesus is healing people who are in distress in the Bible, and you won't find, other, you won't find any other situation where the writer intentionally identified someone as having this physical trait. The only one in the scripture that somebody came up, I mean, that the, the, the author decided him being short was important to the narrative and important to the healing. The man who Jesus healed, who could not, you don't know how tall the blind man was. You don't know if he's short. You don't know if he's overweight. You don't know anybody who was, who was deaf, whether or not they were short or tall. Why is it important that Zacchaeus was short. 
let me give you some insight because sometimes these problems we have give insight into who we are as people. Sometimes it's these issues that create the barriers for us getting closer uh, to the Lord. Let me see if I can explain that further. Because he's short in stature, Zacchaeus has been looked down on all his life, literally and figuratively, all right? But Zacchaeus, in his ability to survive, has figured out how to gain the advantage. He's not let being short keep him from being on top of his game, which is why even though he came to see Jesus and he could not physically get in front of the line, he knew enough to go around. He's figured out how to work around problems, which is why he went up that sycamore fig tree so he could gain the advantage. The second thing is this. Because he's been short, Zacchaeus, no doubt, has developed what we call a Napoleonic complex. How do I know that? Well, you can simply look at his life and determine that there's probably some things that Napoleon, um, that Zacchaeus has overcompensated for. Because he's been smaller, because he's been shorter, Zacchaeus probably brought that into his chosen profession. Now, you got to know that the Bible doesn't just say that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. The Bible says that he was the chief tax collector. All right? That word is in there for a reason. Matthew was a, was a tax collector. But the Bible says that this overachiever short man was the chief tax collector. How do you become the chief tax collector? Probably because you collect more money than anybody else. And how do you do that? By being more ruthless than anybody else. Which means that not only was he the chief tax collector, Jeremiah, you're like this, he was also wealthy. That's important. Why, does it, why is it important that he was wealthy? Because that meant he went over and above in dogging people. So that not only could he enrich Rome's, uh, uh, Rome's coffers, but so he could enrich his own coffers. And so here you have this man who is an under underachiever when it comes to being tall, but an overachiever when it comes to doing his job. And that makes him, that's a dangerous combination because it makes him hated and despised in the community. And this is the man who we meet. I want you to get a full picture, a full 4D comparison of what's going on here. This too short man who has taken advantage of everybody in the community who's been stealing from them for years. Not only is he charging them the taxes they're due, but he goes over and above so that he and his family can live luxuriously, and therefore he is despised by everyone in town. This is the man who runs up that tree. This is the man who's looking down. This is the man, watch this, who is miserable because he still lives in this community and no one likes him. No one interacts with him. And so imagine this man's surprise, Therese, when Jesus comes to the Bible says, when Jesus got to that spot. That's the spot where the tree is. That Jesus looks up, watch this now, nobody ever looks up at Zacchaeus. Watch now, because he's always short. Everybody in his life has always looked down on him, literally and figuratively. They've looked down on him. They looked down on him because of his stature, and they've looked down on him because of his actions. Nobody ever looks up at him, and here is Jesus. And the Bible specifically says, Reggie, that Jesus looked up. 
at him. Luke's language is very important. He looks up at him, and then he does something that's very, very important. He calls him by name. Calls him by name. So watch this now. There's some important lessons in this. Jesus initiates the conversation with him. Jesus does. He initiates the conversation, and therefore he initiates the conversion of Zacchaeus. Why is that important? Because you and I always think folks are supposed to come to church if they want to get saved. Here's a clear example of the church coming to him. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I got to come to your house today. Jesus came to a foreordained spot. Think about it now. Why in the world on that parade route or that walkway that they were going through, of all the people who were out there, why is it that Jesus knew exactly where to come, exactly what to do, and knew exactly that Zacchaeus would be in that tree? And that's because Jesus knows everything. And because he came specifically to that spot for Zacchaeus. Watch it now. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything that's not in the scripture. And behold, there was a man. Look at verse chapter, chapter 19. And verse 5 says, and when Jesus came to the place, to that spot, he came directly to where Zacchaeus was. What do you take from that? I take that Jesus knows where you are. Come on now. Somebody ought to walk with me. You don't have to go to no specific place. You don't have to go to a retreat. You don't have to go to anything that the church is putting on. Jesus knows where you are right now. Jesus knows the place you are figuratively, and he also knows where you are in terms of not having a connection to him. He knows the place, and Jesus knew where Zacchaeus was and came to him. And then Jesus met him emotionally because he looked up at him. He honored him. Everybody else looked down on him, y'all. Everybody else thought he was worthless. Everybody else hated and despised him. And this man who was the most famous person in town that day comes to him and he looks up and honors him by calling his name. You can imagine how the crowd recalled when Jesus calls Zacchaeus' his name. Why? Let's go back because Zacchaeus is a Jew. And Jews who worked for Rome did so to enrich themselves, which means that Rome didn't like them except for what they could do for them, and the Jewish people despised them. And so here is the most despised man in town, and Jesus calls him by name. Not only does he call him by name, he said, come down, Zacchaeus, I got to come have dinner at your house tonight. That don't sound like somebody who's in trouble with the Lord. It sounds like the kind of folk that the Lord is looking for. The folk who are the most despised. The folk who people can't stand. The folk who need a spiritual awakening. That's who Jesus Christ is looking for. We always want to pretty up everybody before they go to Jesus. Can I tell you, you can't get pretty enough before you come to Jesus. He helps you get it all together. He's going to help you renew your life Jesus initiates the conversation, didn't wait for Zacchaeus to do it, didn't sit back and say, well, I've been inviting him to church for the last two years, he ain't come yet. No, you don't have to come to church to learn who Jesus is. 
I can come to your house and sit on your porch and sit in your living room and explain to you who Jesus is. You can accept him where you are under the circumstances. Not only that, you got to meet people where they are and encourage them where they are. Why? Because Jesus saw the value in Zacchaeus, not as a tax collector, but as a person. He saw the value in him. And then Jesus calling him by name. You got to know folk before you start witnessing to them. You ever been standing in line at Walmart and somebody come up to you and start reading to you about Jesus Christ? And you look at them as if to say, first of all, you don't even know if I have a relationship with the Lord. Be tactical. Be careful how you witness and how you walk with folk. Because sometimes your turning on the Lord might be a turn off to those folk. It's not that they don't know them. It's just that time and place matter. And then the meeting for Zacchaeus and Jesus was foreordained. The spot was in place. I heard one preacher say it this way, that that tree had been sitting there for a thousand years. Nobody knew why that tree was there. Some people even walked by and said, that's, a, that's an odd place for that tree to be. They never knew its purpose. And the preacher said, until one day a short man named Zacchaeus went up that tree and he made that the most famous tree in the city after nobody knew when a tree was or why it should be there. Now they know that tree was put there by the Lord so that Jesus could come cause Zacchaeus out and tell him to come down so I can come to your house. There's a whole lot of things in your life that you may not understand at this point. It may not even have the purpose that you understand, but God doesn't make any mistakes. He's put things in place for you. And so Jesus gets to that spot, and I love this, and he tells Zacchaeus to come down. And he tells him, I got to stay at your house today, Zacchaeus. Now watch this now. One theologian said, from jumping out of, off that tree limb to the ground, Zacchaeus was saved. In the span of time that it took for him to jump out of that tree until his feet hit the ground, Zacchaeus was saved. He didn't have to go to no new member orientation class. He didn't have to go to no, no, no. He didn't have to go walking down the aisle. He didn't have to do any of those things that we always attribute to salvation. He met Jesus and Jesus saved him. And because he was saved when he hit the ground, it speaks to his countenance and his conversation when he hit the ground. And that is, he said to the Lord, the Bible says clearly, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. In other words, I'm welcoming Jesus into my house as soon as I get to the ground. Ain't no I got to clean up. Ain't no this ain't no good time for me. Ain't no I got to run the Publix. Ain't none of that stuff. He said, Jesus, come on to the house and such as I have. Now he was rich, so he had a whole lot of things. But watch this. You would think that people would be happy. Think about all them church folk. You would think they all would be ecstatic about what's happened to the most hated man in town, the most deplorable man in town. You ever seen anybody who's been struggling all their life? Look like they've been strung out on drugs or they've been strung out on love or strung out on something 
whatever it is, they ain't been able to get over the hump. And then one day you see them straighten up and walk right. And they say the reason is because I met the Lord. And just like these folk here in this passage, the Bible says, was just an awful statement. Verse 7 says, all the people saw what happened between Zacchaeus and Jesus, and they began to mutter. Come on now, mutter doesn't ever have a good context. That word is never a good thing. It didn't say they began to cheer. It didn't say they began to celebrate. It said they began to denigrate, talk down on. Instead of celebrating the fact that the worst sinner in town has now found salvation, they turn around and complain that Jesus is dealing with the worst sinner in town. Jesus said, I didn't come here for the healthy folk. I came here for the folk who are sick and in need of healing. And these folk who are supposed to be followers of Jesus are complaining that Jesus actually saved a sinner. Somebody ought to hear me now. Yeah, these are the same folk who tried to keep the blind man from Jesus. The same ones that complain. These are the same folk who've been living off Jesus' blessing for so long that they forgot how good it is. They start thinking they earned it. They still don't understand that every day you live off a blessing from the Lord is a day of grace. You haven't earned it yet. They haven't understood that yet. And so he doesn't have the community support, but he got Jesus on, my, on his side. They're not happy for him. And then watch this. How do I know that Zacchaeus has changed? Well, first of all, a sincere repentance, a, a sincere change in, in your life requires repentance. Oh, it does. And how do I know that? Look at what he does. Without Jesus even telling him to do it, he runs to his house. And he takes half of his money. And he said, I'm going to give away half of my goods. In other words, I realize I've been wrong. I've been taking advantage of folk. I'm going to restore them back to the way they were. I'm giving away half of what I got. Nobody required that. Didn't nobody put an offering envelope in front of him. This was a, a self-generated act of repentance. In other words, he said, Jesus creating me a clean heart and, and now infuse the right spirit within me. He's telling him, I want to be better. And the way I can show you that I'm doing better is I'm giving away all this ill-gotten gain. Watch this now. He said, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And he said, I love this. He said, and if I've cheated anybody. Yeah, he said it questioning, but he knew he had. He knew what kind of lowdown something he had been. He said, not only am I going to give it back, I'm going to give it back four times to make up for him. How about this? How about this? This same man who's been taking advantage is showing him, I know what it's like to straighten people out. I'm going to show you, Lord, that I understand what grace feels like by giving grace to somebody else. In fact, I dare say some of them folk who were standing there muttering about him getting changed probably got some change put in their hand because he did change. Because he changed. Sincere change requires repentance. That means turning, repentance, turning 180 degrees, not 360, because that'll put you in the same place. 
but 180 degrees means I'm turning away from where I was going and walking back the other way. And that's what he did. And then lastly, your outward actions are evidence of your inward change. This is important. This is very important because people won't always say, I've changed my life, but they want to keep doing the same things they've been doing. So much so that people can't tell if you are or you're not saved. There's no line drawn. Zacchaeus left no question. Once I found the Lord, my life completely changed. I know it and the world knows that I'm not the same person that I used to be. Why? Because I don't walk like I used to walk. And I don't talk like I used to walk. The talk, and I don't do the things that I used to do. Why? Because he made the difference in my life. I'm changed. And that's because Jesus came into my life. The, may, the song we sing all the time, Destiny, you know it, you learned it early on. It was written by an old slave trader who realized how awful his life had been. Old ship man who used to help bring slaves from Africa to this land. He wrote a song in 1748. His name was John Newton. If you don't know the story, you know his song. If you don't know what inspired him to write the song, then you need to simply read about his life, about how he spent his life in riotous living treating human beings as chattel, treating them as if they were worth less than nothing. He hurt people. He was on a ship bringing a shipment of slaves and his ship got caught in a storm. He was praying, finally started praying, Lord, help me get out of this situation. People were flying overboard, not just the slaves, but other people who were helping him to steer the ship. And finally in his life, he realized he was afraid and couldn't do anything about it. Realized that the possibility of him dying in that storm was very, very real. And he wondered after all these years of being so horrible, is the Lord gonna pay any attention to me? But he still had the courage, just like Zacchaeus did. Put himself in a position to ask the Lord to help him. And so he prayed. He remembered what his mama said to him about how God would take care of him. Thank God for praying mothers. Thank God for praying mamas who put the seed in their children that one day will blossom into a tree of repentance. And so he prayed, Lord, help me. Show mercy on me even though I haven't shown mercy on other folk. I'm asking you to bless me. Help me, Lord. And the Bible says that Newton was fully aware of how awful his life was. But the Lord heard his prayer and helped him get out of that storm. And when he did, Destiny, he wrote these words that you've been singing and saying all your life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a miserable, horrible wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. That prayer is still available for anyone who doesn't know the Lord. It's still working. How do I know that? 
because the Bible said that Zacchaeus, once he met the Lord, was transformed by him and worked for the Lord the rest of his life. Zacchaeus came down from that tree and he was never the same again. My question to you is what tree do you need to come down from? What tree have you been stuck in for a long time? You've been in the tree of high-mindedness that's been stopping you. You need to come on down. You've been in the tree of insecurity. You need to come on down. How about the tree of anger that's been stopping you from having the most effective relationship you can with the Lord? It's time Jesus is calling you to come on down. How about the tree of jealousy? You need to come on down. Whatever's keeping you up in the tree, Jesus is calling you to come on, come on down. Not only can you experience a renewed spirit, if you know him and you're up in that tree, you need to come on down. But if you've never met Jesus before, I came to tell you today that he's still calling folk. And so I want to tell you today that that was the day that changed, that was the day that changed Zacchaeus' life. Today can be the day that changes your life. Just today. Today can be the day that changes your life. You don't have to, have to keep on acting the same way or doing the same thing. Tremaine Hawkins told us about the day that her life was changed. She said, a change has come over me. He changed my life. And now I'm free. Washed away all of my sin, and he made me whole. He washed me white as snow. I came to tell you today that Jesus is still waiting on you to take his advice and come on down out of that tree. It's not complicated. All you have to do is pray with me right now. Father, forgive my sins. I know it's hurting you when I'm disconnected from you, Lord. So I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. Empower me so that I can live a life that's fulfilling to you and abiding in your will. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you for him seeking me. Thank you for him saving me. Lord, I once was lost, but now finally I can see. And I thank you for that. And I lift this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all you have to do is pray that prayer. And you too can say that this is the day that changed your life forever. Won't you come on down out of that tree? Won't you come on down on one knee or stand up? It doesn't matter as long as you pray the prayer. He's waiting for you to come. God bless you today. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with us in the cyber sanctuary. I'm excited about this renewed Bible, this renewed sermon series, but you got to start with a relationship with Jesus Christ.